Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, February 7th, 2023, the 748th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide range of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So the fake president is giving the fake State of the Union tonight. And because it's a joint session of Congress with most of the line of succession in attendance, it is a high security sort of event, or at least it is this year, or it seems to be for some reason, whatever that is, the Capitol has once again been surrounded by fencing. 
We are told that there have been no intelligence reports of any threats to the State of the Union tonight, but nonetheless, the fencing is up. It's supposed to come back down tomorrow. This is from Politico's Congress Minutes yesterday. Kevin McCarthy's newly appointed sergeant at arms opposed installing security fencing around the Capitol for Joe Biden's State of the Union address. Well, that's interesting. Here's what they have to say. Security split. The Capitol Police Board, a three-member body that makes security decisions for the Capitol complex, split 2-1 last week in favor of erecting a temporary security fence ahead of President Joe Biden's State of the Union address, according to two people familiar with the decision. The lone vote against the plan? William McFarland, the House's newly minted sergeant-at-arms. It's unclear why McFarland opposed the fence installation. His Senate counterpart, Karen Gibson, and architect of the Capitol, Brett Blanton, both voted in favor of installing the temporary fencing. The three officials make up the Capitol Police Board. Capitol Police Chief Thomas Manger is an ex-officio member of the board who can participate but cannot vote. The security fencing has already been installed ahead of Biden's address, but the split among the three board members marks a notable shift. Capitol Police and House Sergeant-at-Arms officials declined to comment. One of the two people familiar with the vote asked about the rationale for McFarland's vote, said there was, quote, no actionable intelligence to necessitate putting up a fence, end quote, noting that the State of the Union speeches prior to the January 6th, 2021 attack on the Capitol didn't require one. Capitol Police reinstalled the fencing around last year's speech. McCarthy and his GOP colleagues have in the past criticized the security fencing that ringed the Capitol in the months following January 6th and suggested it was left up for political purposes rather than based on threat intelligence. They also made a key portion of their 2022 campaign rhetoric about their intent to reopen the Capitol, including lifting restrictions on building access and removing security screening around the House chamber. Since January 6th, temporary metal fencing has been deployed sporadically around the Capitol ahead of high-profile events and visits by the president. Of course, it just never was before January 6th, 2021, and then it was up for about two months with no explanation. There was no MAGA insurrection. There were no MAGA riots. MAGA people came to the Capitol for one event and one event only. And that was to peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard in opposition to the fraudulent certification of fraudulent electors who themselves were fraudulently certified in their states based on totally fraudulent elections. And now they put the fence up whenever they need to, to pretend that Democrats are somehow under threat from MAGA. When in fact, the political violence, as we have talked about countless times, is 99.9% on the left and always has been. Political violence is literally a tactic of the left. And the only way anyone believes otherwise is because of the number of switcheroos the left and the media have been able to pull off over the last many decades. Left-wing domestic terrorism used to be a fairly regular thing in the United States. And people on the left would be like, okay, but what about the Klan? Well, that's you guys too. I'm really sorry, but that's you guys too. But back to Politico. 
McFarland, a well-liked veteran security officer in the House, was Speaker Kevin McCarthy's pick to succeed William Walker, the sergeant at arms appointed by former Speaker Nancy Pelosi during the previous Congress. McFarland is a longtime member of the Capitol Hill security apparatus. Over the past two decades, he has been a member of the Capitol Police, a security official with the House Intelligence Committee, and has spent more than 10 years as the director of the Office of House Security for the House Sergeant at Arms. So Kevin McCarthy's guy says no to the security fencing and the other two members of this little committee, one who's the sergeant at arms of the Senate says no. And the architect of the Capitol says no. So Karen Gibson was appointed in March 2021 by Chuck Schumer and Chuck Schumer is currently the Senate majority leader as the result of obviously stolen and thrown elections. But it's not like Mitch McConnell is any less regime than Chuck Schumer. So we can imagine that Karen Gibson's views are aligned with the views of Schumer and McConnell. She also worked with Russell Honore, who was appointed to lead the investigation on January 6th by Nancy Pelosi. And he's still out there on Twitter calling MAGA domestic terrorists, essentially. Just yesterday, he tweeted, let's see how the Secret Service, Capitol Police, FBI, and DHS secure the Capitol tomorrow night. Let's see if Speaker McCarthy try and allow, not great in English, I guess, try and allow MAGA to bring guns into the POTUS State of the Union. Capitol still not hardened. Will the fences go up? So that's Russell Honore. And then you've got Brett Blanton, and this is where it gets a bit interesting. This article is from January 26th, so about two weeks ago. Months after explosive report, lawmakers still unsure how to handle Capitol Architect. And this is at rollcall.com, by the way. It's been three months since a damning Inspector General report was published listing a series of alleged offenses committed by architect of the Capitol, J. Brett Blanton and more than two months since a group of Democrats called for his resignation. The allegations outlined in the October 26th report are staggering. Blanton misrepresented himself as a law enforcement officer. He misused a government-issued vehicle intended for home-to-work use, taking it as far as Florida and allowing his wife and daughter to drive the SUV. And he and his wife offered tours of the Capitol to quote-unquote patriots, while the complex he's tasked with maintaining and protecting was closed to the public during the COVID-19 pandemic. His misdeeds may have cost taxpayers an estimated $14,000, the OIG found. That is what qualifies as staggering allegations, according to Roll Call. That was what caused Democrats to call for this man's resignation. He took patriots into the Capitol even though it was closed because of COVID and his wife and daughter might have driven his SUV. There's also a report that he misrepresented himself as a law enforcement officer. I mean, honestly, how could he? Now, if all those things are true, one of them is kind of bad, I guess. The car thing is irrelevant and would never, ever come up unless they were trying to take out someone they didn't like and walking people through on tours is insane. 
The OIG identified a significant amount of administrative, ethical and policy violations, as well as evidence of criminal violations throughout the investigation, the report states. Blanton did not respond to a request for comment. Blanton's actions have violated every pillar the OIG operates under, including theft, fraud, waste and abuse against not only the AOC, but also the taxpayer. The report continues. And the AOC in this case is architect of capital, not Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And yet Blanton, who in 2019 was nominated to a 10-year term by then-President Donald Trump and confirmed by the Senate, remains in the job as lawmakers and experts ponder procedural questions and mull oversight of the obscure legislative branch office. For one, can Congress remove someone from the presidentially appointed position? On that, there's no precedent or consensus. The statute doesn't provide for any removal terms, said Kevin Molshine a former inspector general at the architect of the Capitol. Because removal is not mentioned as a possibility, the only way he can be removed is through the president. Congress doesn't have any power to remove him. So they've got to figure out, in this case, where clearly some discipline is warranted, what happens to him. Lawmakers on two committees tasked with oversight of the AOC, Senate Rules and Administration and House Administration, appear to agree with Malshine. Senate Rules Chairwoman, Amy Klobuchar and former ranking member Roy Blunt, the Missouri Republican who retired earlier this year, floated legislation in December that would establish procedures for removing the architect. Introduced just two weeks before the end of the 117th Congress, it did not advance out of committee. And that's interesting, isn't it? That they tried to remove the architect of the Capitol during the lame duck period for those things? Doesn't that seem a little unusual. The bill would codify Congress's right to remove the architect either by impeachment or by a joint resolution for, quote, permanent disability, inefficiency, neglect of duty, malfeasance or a felony or conduct involving moral turpitude, end quote. Klobuchar intends to introduce the bill again. And naturally, we wish her such luck in accomplishing this important task. In light of the serious misconduct detailed in the inspector general's report, Senator Klobuchar and several of her colleagues have urged Brett Blanton to resign and reimburse the government for the resources he misused. A spokesperson for Klobuchar said by email, right now, the president has the power to remove the architect of the Capitol from his post and Senator Klobuchar plans to reintroduce legislation to give that power to Congress. But according to Daniel Schumann, policy director at Demand Progress, lawmakers could be doing more. The architect of the Capitol could be impeached, Schumann contends. The question is whether there is political will to do so. And of course, there is not. This seems to be a regime takedown attempt happening last year and happening during the lame duck session of the Congress before Republicans got control of the House back. There's no way they're going to get this thing through now. They just want to keep talking about it because Brett Blanton, the architect of the Capitol, is now in the targets of the regime as someone who must be removed. And maybe all of that was a prelude to this situation as we find it. But we shall see. Weird nonetheless. I don't think they lack for remedies, Schumann said. I just think that all the remedies are awkward. <laughs> Donald Sherman, 
senior vice president and chief counsel at Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, agreed with Schumann, but said without the support of the president or statutory guidance on the removal of the architect, any kind of congressional act to remove Blanton could create a legal quagmire. I think Congress will make it a lot easier if they revise the statute to implicitly address removal, Sherman said. But given the absence of that, the president is the only person that likely would have that authority. So why isn't Biden doing it? I mean, we're told it's very easy for the president to just fire whatever member of the bureaucracy he wants. We're told that by DeSantis simps. Donald Trump could have fired everybody. He could have fired Anthony Fauci and he didn't. Well, that's not true. But hey, we're talking about the people that pretend Donald Trump was responsible for losing elections for Republicans. So they are running out of any sort of salient point to be made in the first place. Even before the report was published, Blanton raised eyebrows because unlike past appointees, he was not an architect by trade and had little experience with historic preservation and restoration projects, Mulshine said. At his nomination hearing in December 2019, Blanton said he would not tolerate unethical acts. I have a zero tolerance policy for harassment, discrimination or unethical behavior, Blanton told senators. We cannot expect to attract the nation's top workforce without adapting and changing our culture. The AOC is responsible for the maintenance, operation, development and preservation of the Capitol complex. Blanton is the 12th person to occupy the role and would be the first to be removed should Congress or the president decide to go that route. President Joe Biden, through his spokesperson, has repeatedly declined to comment. And that is so strange. Why wouldn't the office of Karine Jean-Pierre just weigh in on a pretty innocuous issue, right? This is kind of a nothing issue, isn't it? Firing the architect of the Capitol because he did all these very, very bad things should be non-controversial. Why can't they get it done? Are they overstating what he actually did? Is there something else going on here? Why can't Joe Biden just get the job done or at least answer why he's not doing it? Well, none of that matters anymore because we are in our new political normal now where the regime does not actually have to explain anything they're doing to the American people. And why would they? What's going to happen? Are they going to be held accountable by voters at the ballot box? No, of course not. Voters can't hold politicians accountable at the ballot box. That would require legitimate elections. And as usual, of course, they have to try to make Blanton sound like he is totally incompetent and unqualified for his job, as they do with virtually everyone who Trump has ever appointed to anything. Here is Brett Blanton's career. This is from Wikipedia. Blanton earned his master's of science from Virginia Tech in ocean engineering and his bachelor of science in aerospace, aeronautical and astronautical engineering from the United States Naval Academy in 1993. Blanton is a licensed professional engineer in civil engineering and a certified energy manager. Blanton served in the Navy Civil Engineer Corps for 22 years. He retired from the Navy in 2015. He then served as Deputy Vice President for Engineering Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority, which operates the Reagan National and Dulles International Airports. So that sounds like a considerable amount of engineering experience and management experience. And of course, he was in the military. 
But according to roll call, there's no way he could be an appropriate appointment for this job because he's not an architect. Democrats responsible for overseeing the AOC came together in November to call for Blanton's resignation soon after the inspector general report was released. That group included Klobuchar, and then House Administration Chair Zoe Lofgren of California, along with the chairs of the Appropriations Panel at the time, Representative Rosa DeLauro of Connecticut. That's the person that looks like Perry Farrell, the singer of Jane's Addiction and Porno for Pyros. She is like the hipster congresswoman. That's what they call her. She dresses like a seventh degree mage from a role playing video game. But hey, Maybe that's just her thing. That makes her extra cool. But I digress. All of them are joined by Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont. It also includes the leaders of the legislative branch appropriations subcommittees, Representative Tim Ryan of Ohio, who is no longer in office after a failed bid for Senate, and Senator Jack Reed of Rhode Island. So that was the team last year that tried to take out Brett Blanton. All of them are total, complete communists. This is as regime as it gets. And Lofgren, curiously, was on the J6 committee. But lawmakers have largely been quiet on the issue since, though appropriators slipped a passage into the 4,155-page spending bill signed by Biden in late December that expressly states, quote, that none of the funds may be used for a home-to-work vehicle for the architect or a duly authorized designee. So, He's not allowed to use that car anymore except for work. That was put into the omnibus spending package. What in the world are these people up to? Legislative branch appropriators did not respond to requests for comment on the language. Senate Rules Committee members either did not respond to requests for comment or declined to comment. Pennsylvania Democrat Mary Gay Scanlon was the lone House administration member from the last Congress who would weigh in on Blanton this year, though she will not reprise her role on the committee in the 118th Congress. I am extremely concerned about the OIG report findings that J. Brett Blanton abused his authority and public trust, misused government property, and wasted taxpayer dollars, Scanlon said. I join my colleagues in calling for his resignation and for the full reimbursement of misused taxpayer dollars. Blanton, who has still not publicly offered a defense of the behavior alleged in the inspector general report, may find himself before the House panel in the coming months. Newly appointed House Administration Chair Brian Steele would not comment on the allegations, but a Republican aide said he is reviewing them and could call Blanton to testify. He looks forward to conducting thorough oversight over the AOC and all other legislative branch entities, including having agency heads testify before the committee this Congress, the aide said. So who knew that we were going to be learning about the architect of the Capitol today? But there we have it. Now we've done it. Why in the world is the regime attempting to take out Brett Blanton, the architect of the Capitol? It's an interesting question. Another interesting question. Why did Donald Trump place him there? And the final question has to be, does the architect of the Capitol have some sort of special power that they don't want him to unlock? It's like they're worried about him charging up his finishing move. What special power does the architect of the Capitol have? Okay. And so when you leave those questions aside, let's go back to the 
fencing issue. So Blanton sided with the Senate sergeant at arms and not McCarthy's pick for House sergeant at arms, who you would have to think McCarthy appointed with some input from Donald Trump one way or the other. And if you're thinking you're probably reading too much into this, not everything is orchestrated at this level. I would say you're wrong. This is a chess match going back and forth, and they are using all the moves at their disposal. Consider how many loopholes they've tried to exploit just in the election process and just in the litigation of the election process. They are mapping out everything they do at every level to create whatever possible advantages they can. They obviously saw some possible advantage if they could take out the architect of the Capitol and replace him with someone else. So there is something to this. I can't say I know what it is right now, but it's interesting seeing the split here between Blanton. Maybe he was just shamed and punished into compliance. That's possible. Or maybe there's something else going on. Regardless, McCarthy's appointment, the House Sergeant at Arms, lost the vote. So the Capitol fencing is up, even though, according to everyone who's weighed in on this, they have no actionable intelligence on any threat that would require the Capitol being fenced off. Who is the legitimate occupying regime trying to protect itself from? And what in the world do they expect to happen? Are they just putting that up to show child brained Biden supporters out there? That MAGA is still a threat for political violence, even though there has been no MAGA related political violence since January 6th. And that event itself is arguable in that description because a lot of the violence was actually incited by the Capitol Police who were attacking protesters. And we have the evidence of that, of course, on video, even though there are still 14,000 hours of security footage that we are not allowed to access and that the defendants in the January 6th related prosecutions are not allowed to access. We still have plenty of video of Capitol Police officers attacking protesters unprovoked. What is the illegitimate occupying regime afraid of? Why won't they tell us? Why is it just some common occurrence now that the seat of American government, the people's house, is now off limits to the people? Kevin McCarthy just reopened the house a couple of weeks ago, and now it's been fenced in. What does it say about a government that believes it needs protection from the people it pretends to govern? This is exactly what you would see in a banana republic. In a dictatorship, in a society where the government is governing without the consent of the governed. And that is exactly what we have. Our government does not have the consent of the governed, not at any level. That is what happens when elections are stolen. And if this was happening in Nicaragua or Senegal or Syria, we would all be like, oh, yeah, it's because they have an illegitimate regime in control. That is a uh, brutal dictatorship. They're actually authoritarians. They're totalitarians there. They're trying to oppress their people. They're stripping their people of their human rights. I can't believe that something like that is happening in a foreign land. 
aren't we going to send soldiers over there to stop it? And instead, when it's in America, we're just like, oh, well, you know, that's just how the government works. That's just because of ultra MAGA domestic terrorists. You see, there's a big threat to the Capitol from ultra MAGA domestic terrorists. That's why the government feels that it needs to protect itself from the people. No, it's not about stolen elections. Everyone knows that's a conspiracy. There's actually a totally good reason why our government feels that it needs protection from the people. Ah, sure there is, commie. It's that kind of thinking that convinced you to make a life or death decision without considering life or death. Trust the science, trust the experts, trust the government. They're just looking out for you. And if you think they're not, well, you're a conspiracy theorist. How can you prove they're not? Oh, no, no, no. Well, that's not proof. I understand that you have that opinion, but that's a conspiracy theory. Oh, that. Yeah, that's not proof either. And they just go for like a thousand examples of why you can't trust the government. Oh, that just can't be true. All of those are conspiracy theories. The point is the government is totally trustworthy. And that's why I say whatever they tell me to the whole time. So Joe Biden, the thoroughly illegitimate fake president who has presided over what may well be two of the worst years in American history, Two of the worst years, by the way, in global history, because the illegitimate president is actually participating in a much larger agenda rather than just leading America as a sovereign nation, as the office of president is designed by our Constitution to do, of course, is set to go out tonight and read a speech to the nation about how great his administration is and how much better Everyone's lives would be if we simply handed over more power to the state. As I discussed yesterday, he is mired in an unreal amount of scandals. He has an open southern border. Our laws are not being enforced at the border. That is the executive branch's responsibility. And Joe Biden is allowing a foreign invasion into our country instead. Now, that would normally be considered an obvious violation of Joe Biden's oath with the potential to remove him from office. But of course, we have the propaganda state media operating on behalf of the global regime, and they don't care about those things. They love open borders. Joe Biden is the face of the disaster in Afghanistan. He's the face of a terrible economy. He is the face of America begging around the world for oil because Joe Biden cut off our energy resources in this country while we were on a path to not only energy independence, but energy dominance. And Joe Biden decided that the green agenda was more important. His son's laptop was exposed in October 2020. We were told it was Russian disinformation. Turns out the entire laptop's true. Turns out the laptop contains evidence of Joe Biden's career of political corruption and criminality around the world, including with our foreign adversaries who control him now to this day. We have the great document extravaganza still unfolding. We have two special counsel investigations looking into Joe Biden, his son 
is being investigated. And it's probably worth mentioning that his daughter's diary describes inappropriate showers with her dad while she was a young girl. That's Joe Biden. But somehow he has to go face the nation tonight and read a speech that he obviously has not written and probably does not understand. And Zero Hedge wrote a nice little preview this morning. Here it is. Biden to give State of the Union speech tonight. Here's what he's likely to read. President Biden will read a carefully prepared State of the Union speech on Tuesday night in front of a newly divided Congress, where he's likely to tout last week's job report and use it as a soft launch for his 2024 reelection campaign, despite the fact that a majority of Democrats don't want him to run again. Biden will likely argue that Americans are doing better on average than when he took office and falsely claim that inflation isn't his fault. Do I take any blame for inflation? No, Biden said Friday, because it was already there when I got here, man. Jobs were hemorrhaging. Inflation was rising. We weren't manufacturing a damn thing here. We were in real economic difficulty. That's why I don't. And of course, that's not even their normal excuse. Their normal excuse is that there was global inflation. So basically, the banks were deciding that everybody's money was worth less. It wasn't just Joe Biden deciding that Americans' money was worth less than before. It's the whole world. But back to zero hedge, except inflation was 1.4% when Biden took office. Even the Hill notes that, quote, there are signs that even a productive past year that featured major investments in the economy and declining concerns about a recession may not be enough for Biden to excite even some in his own party about a 2024 bid. I think this is an impossible speech to give because it's a speech that requires him to speak both about the state of the union as it is and the direction he hopes to lead it, which is about playing the role of statesman. But it also is going to lay the groundwork for most likely his own run for office in 2024, which will call for him to be decidedly political and to cover all kinds of ground, said William Howe, a political scientist at the University of Chicago. Harris School of Public Policy. And wasn't that smart? I mean, what a key critical insight that we are being brought by a political scientist at the University of Chicago. It's impossible to give the speech because the speech requires him to speak both about the State of the Union as it is and the direction he hopes to lead it. Can you imagine being able to talk about both of those things in the same speech? Why, it's practically impossible. Only someone of Joe Biden's stature would even attempt it. And it's going to lay the groundwork for his 2024 run. So the speech is going to be decidedly political. Wow. I mean, giving this speech at all is some kind of superhuman feat. What else will Biden say? Biden will likely call on Congress to raise the debt limit without conditions, challenging Republicans to send him a clean bill while warning against cuts to Social Security and Medicare, cuts which House Speaker Kevin McCarthy already said were off the table. And again, Joe Biden is not going to convince anybody about the debt ceiling. They think they're going to go use the bully pulpit 
to tell Americans what they really need to do and what they really need to support. Hey, Americans, you have to support us raising the debt ceiling without any preconditions on an agreement. That's what everybody wants. More spending. Think about all the things we've spent money on. That's why your life is so great right now. Of course, Americans don't believe that at all. Americans do not believe their lives have been improved by Joe Biden. We discussed that yesterday. Over 70% of the country thinks the country is headed in the wrong direction. And Joe Biden is going to be trotted out there to argue that the regime should be given a blank check. American citizens should agree to live a life of indentured servitude and expect one for their children because we just need to keep spending all this money or else everything's going to fall apart. He will undoubtedly mention the war in Ukraine, framing it as a broader fight against Russian aggression. Some foreign policy experts have suggested Biden may use the speech to lay out a possible roadmap to ending U.S. involvement in Ukraine, the Hill reports. Now, that would be a bit shocking. The truth is that whatever roadmap Joe Biden lays out is not going to be good enough. Russia is not going to agree to any of the conditions of the United States or any other part of the globalist West. They are going to get what they want. Biden right now is going to be essentially setting the tone for what will be surrender. He just doesn't want it to seem that way. They're going to attempt to rewrite the circumstances and make it seem like they're getting the best possible deal for Ukraine and that all of it was worth it. The deaths of hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians were just the price we pay to protect the sovereign borders of that great nation, except for the fact that they didn't protect the sovereign borders. And now like 20% or 30% of that nation is already Russia. They also failed to destroy the Russian economy. Not that they tried. It is worth noting, as always, that attempting to wage economic warfare is an attack on the citizens of the country. That's what the global West did to Russian citizens. And again, they failed there too. The Russian currency is worth more than before. They've now got currency alliances with the BRICS nations and nations are joining BRICS. Those nations represent over half the population in the world. There is no analysis of this situation that makes it anything but a massive Russian victory and a massive loss for the global regime. Biden may also call for police reform following the beating death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of Memphis police, which was widely framed as an issue of white supremacy, despite involving only black officers working for a black chief of police and a black suspect. Nichols, 29, died in a hospital on January 10th, three days after he was beaten by the five officers who have all been hit with several charges. He may also encourage lawmakers to strike a bipartisan immigration deal after his administration spent the last two years encouraging unchecked illegal migration into the United States. What won't Biden mention? Unless his doctors failed to dial in his cocktail, Biden probably won't touch on his classified documents scandal, the Hunter Biden investigations, or the removal of several Democrats, including Eric Swalwell, Adam Schiff, and Ilhan Omar, from prominent congressional committees. We also don't imagine he'll mention the embarrassing Chinese spy balloon he let traverse the entire United States before shooting down. And for just a brief update on the sky circle, 
The story now is that they were able to surveil the balloon as it traveled the distance of the entire country. So it was actually better that Biden let it travel that whole way across the country, supposedly surveilling us rather than taking it down over the Alaskan wilderness, for instance. Now, it might seem embarrassing to absolutely everybody that a Chinese sky circle floated all the way across the country and completed its mission before it was destroyed, but not in Biden world. In Biden world, that's how smart and patient he was. He realized that they could gain all the knowledge about the sky circle if they let it do its entire mission and then blew it up above the ocean, even though they might not be able to recover any of the very important parts of the sky circle. Very sad. Now, we were discussing the Capitol fencing in January 6th. This article is from yesterday in The Intercept. The headline, Marines charged in Capitol riot got highly sensitive spy jobs after January 6th. Now, Recall, when The Intercept was first started, it was started by Glenn Greenwald, who is absolutely a leftist and still asleep on a bunch of things, but he is not regime or at the very least has a tendency to go against the regime. Now, he has since left The Intercept and The Intercept is now owned by Pierre Omidyar. He founded eBay and is now a regime philanthropist, you know, the very, very best people. So you should consider this in light of that and be on the lookout for regime biases and limited hangouts. A Marine charged with taking part in the January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol was transferred into a highly sensitive intelligence assignment at the headquarters of the National Security Agency after the violent attempt to overturn the 2020 election results. Marine Corps officials have acknowledged the Marine confessed to his role in the Capitol riot last summer during a security clearance interview, but was not charged until last month. Following his alleged participation in the 2021 insurrection, Sergeant Joshua Abate, a special communications signals analyst, was assigned to the Marine Cryptologic Support Battalion, which acts as a liaison between the Marines and the NSA at Fort Meade. The transfer into the liaison unit after the Capitol riot placed a bait inside one of the most sensitive facilities in the entire U.S. government. Can you believe that? Right after taking part in an insurrection. How odd. Two other Marines charged with entering the Capitol alongside a bait on January 6th were also given new intelligence assignments within the Marine Corps after the insurrection, according to statements from the Corps. Sergeant Dodge Dale Hellinen was assigned to the 3rd Marine Raider Support Battalion, which provides intelligence support to the Marine Forces Special Operations Command at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. And Corporal Micah Coomer was assigned to the Marines 1st Radio Battalion, which provides signals, intelligence and electronic warfare support for the Marine Expeditionary Force based in Camp Pendleton, California. Like Abate, Helenin and Coomer are highly trained in communications and signals intelligence. The three Marines assignment to highly sensitive intelligence jobs after they allegedly joined in the January 6th riot has not been previously reported. 
All three were charged last month in connection with their roles as part of the violent mob that forced members of Congress to flee for their lives and delay certification of the 2020 election results. Abate, Helenin, and Coomer are accused of offenses including trespassing, disorderly conduct, and illegal parading or picketing in a restricted building. The Marine Corps initially released little information about the three men. The service provided only brief descriptions of their current assignments and did not publicly acknowledge that all were given new assignments after January 6th. We are aware of an investigation and the allegations the Corps wrote in its initial terse statement after the charges against the three Marines were made public. The Marine Corps is fully cooperating with the appropriate authorities in support of the investigation. But after The Intercept independently discovered that all three Marines had been given new intelligence assignments following the insurrection, the Corps confirmed that they were all transferred to new roles after January 6, 2021, and provided information about their assignments at the time of the insurrection. Abate and Helenin also received promotions in rank following the Capitol riot, according to the Corps. And let's circle back to the first sentence in that paragraph. The Intercept independently discovered that all three Marines had been given new intelligence assignments following the insurrection. So the Intercept found that out all on their own. Amazing. The reassignments raised serious new questions about the ability of both the military and the U.S. intelligence community to identify right wing extremists in their midst. Yes, that's what must have happened. The U.S. intelligence community and the military were unaware about these right wing extremists in their midst. And how and why are they right wing extremists? Well, they were part of the insurrection, of course, and that makes them right wing extremists because the only people that were there were right wing extremists, right? I mean, let's just swallow the ridiculous narrative whole. Since the Capitol riot, the Pentagon has claimed that it has been trying to root out extremists, but there have been few signs that the problem has yet been reduced or even that the scale of the threat has been adequately measured. What's more, the Pentagon's efforts are now being impeded by congressional Republicans who are seeking to block initiatives to oust right wing radicals from the military. And this writer from The Intercept, James Risen, sounds like he's about to cry. An early warning of Republican opposition came last summer when the Senate Armed Services Committee voted in favor of legislative language designed to halt Pentagon attempts to counter extremist influence in the military's ranks. Every Republican senator on the panel voted to block the anti-extremist training, and they succeeded when Maine Independent Senator Angus King joined them. Now that Republicans control the House, they are vowing to go after what they call woke policies at the Pentagon. Efforts to root out right-wing extremists are certain to be among their prime targets. Got it? So the anti-woke agenda is actually about protecting right-wing extremists in the military. That's what the Republican Congress is doing, according to communist James Risen, writing for Pierre Omidyar's propaganda mouthpiece. While Pentagon officials have talked extensively about the problem of right wing extremism in the military, the U.S. intelligence community has so far been much more secretive about the issue. Intelligence officials have reported on the rising threat posed by white nationalism and right wing domestic terrorism, but there is no public data on the extent of the problem within its ranks and little evidence that they are taking significant action to prevent the spread of extremism inside their own agencies. And again, the rising threat 
imposed by white nationalism and right wing domestic terrorism is a complete creation of the FBI. We know that they were meant to hit certain markers. They had to increase the reported amount of right wing extremism in the country so that it could justify the steps that they already wanted to take to oppress the citizens, most particularly their speech. Intelligence officials declined to discuss whether any investigation is being conducted to determine how Abate, Helenin, and Coomer could be given such sensitive intelligence positions after allegedly participating in the January 6th mob. An NSA spokesperson declined to comment on Abate's role at the Marines NSA liaison office and refused to say whether the NSA is conducting a counterintelligence investigation to examine whether Abate compromised any operations. A spokesperson for the Office of the Director of National Intelligence also declined to comment. The three Marines are not the first with intelligence community links to be charged in connection with the January 6th insurrection. Last September, Hatchet Speed, a Navy reservist who had previously worked with the NAVWAR space field activity at the National Reconnaissance Office, which operates the nation's spy satellites, was charged after telling an undercover FBI agent that he had gone into the U.S. Capitol with members of the Proud Boys, an extremist group that was at the center of the insurrection. And they always talk about the Proud Boys, of course, even though the Proud Boys have plenty of FBI informants in the organization, including Enrique Tario, who was actually picked up and detained on January 5th, 2021. Just another wrinkle of that story that they never bother telling. It seems clear from interviews and court documents that investigators were slow to identify Abate, Helenin, and Coomer. At the time of the insurrection, the three men were friends and were all assigned to the Marine Corps Information Operations Center at Quantico, Virginia, about 30 miles south of Washington. The center is involved in psychological warfare training and development for the Marines, among other functions. On January 6th, 2021, the three went to the U.S. Capitol together, entering the building at 2.20 p.m. through the Senate wing door, according to video footage and photographs taken during the attack. They were inside the Capitol for about an hour in the midst of the insurrection, according to the criminal complaint filed by the government in their case. Helenin was carrying a yellow don't tread on me flag. The three began roaming the halls with the mob that had flooded into the Capitol. At 2.32 p.m., they entered the Capitol Rotunda, placed a red MAGA hat on a statue, and took photos with it, according to the complaint. They continued to walk through the building, using their cell phones to take photos and videos. The three got away without being immediately identified. Abate later said that he, quote, heard how the event was being portrayed negatively and decided that he should not tell anybody about going into the U.S. Capitol building, according to the complaint. Coomer was apparently the first to be identified by the FBI. On August 13th, 2021, a federal search warrant was served on Facebook, authorizing the search of the Instagram account of Mr. Coomer 08. Coomer had posted photos from inside the Capitol on January 6th to his personal account with the caption, quote, glad to be a part of history. In a separate Instagram conversation on January 31st, 2021, Coomer said that, quote, everything in this country is corrupt. We honestly need a fresh restart. I'm waiting for the boogaloo, end quote. What's a boogaloo? The user he was talking to asked, according to the government's complaint. 
Civil War II, Coomer replied. In addition to acknowledging his involvement in the insurrection through his social media posts, Coomer was also identified by a witness in the Marines who picked him out of footage taken inside the Capitol, the complaint says. It took investigators nearly another year to confront Abate about his presence in the Capitol that day. In June 2022, Abate was interviewed as part of his security clearance process and admitted going into the U.S. Capitol during the insurrection with, quote, two buddies. Abate said that as they walked through the rotunda, one of his friends smoked a cigarette and they, quote, tried not to get hit with tear gas, end quote, according to the complaint. Abate also admitted that he decided to keep his involvement secret. When contacted by phone, relatives of Coomer and Helenin declined to comment on the case. David Dishley, an attorney for Abate, said the next hearing in the case is scheduled for March 21st in federal court in Washington. So three Marines got intelligence assignments after they were part of the insurrection. You got to love how committed these communists are to the insurrection narrative. This is absolutely deplorable journalism. There is no proof of insurrection. No one tried to overthrow the government. They walked through the Capitol. There were instigators and agent provocateurs among the crowd. There were FBI informants and the list goes on and on and on and on. Trump supporters that day were primarily nonviolent. Some got swept up into the violence and hey, maybe some of them went there hoping things would go that direction. I'm not saying no one did that, but that was not an attempt to take over the American government. The people weren't even armed. There has been more than ample reporting on this. It is not enough for a reporter at a massive, well-funded outlet to simply say that they haven't seen the reporting or that they ignored it because they thought it was a conspiracy theory. Those are excuses. This is pure propaganda. You can't just say these are right-wing extremists, part of a mob who took part in an insurrection. And of course, that's why they use the word allegedly every now and then. So did the military and did our intelligence services simply miss the fact that these guys went to the Capitol? Is that what we are supposed to believe? Because they were given intelligence assignments after this. We know that there were all sorts of operators on the ground that day, including ones from Ukraine. So it's entirely possible that these Marines were there for some other reason. And who would have sent them there? Who gave them their intelligence assignments after that? Are we really supposed to pretend that no one knew they were at the Capitol? That seems highly unlikely. And of course, the fake president, Joe Biden, is ultimately responsible for the military. Was it Mark Milley? Was it Lloyd Austin? Who made this gigantic mistake in giving insurrectionists key intelligence assignments after the insurrection? It was either a massive mistake by the same people that just allowed a sky circle to traverse our country, or maybe there's something else going on and Joe Biden doesn't have as much control as everyone pretends he has. What's the most likely answer? Well, I would suggest the least likely answer is that the military and our intelligence services just had no idea that these guys were involved in an insurrection. But let's get back to the fake president. This is from the Washington Free Beacon yesterday. Foreign nations poured millions into university that houses Biden Institute. 
China, Saudi Arabia, Oman, and Turkey have poured millions of dollars into the University of Delaware since the school launched the Biden Institute, President Joe Biden's domestic policy think tank led by his sister, according to U.S. Department of Education records reviewed by the Washington Free Beacon. Since the Biden Institute was established in 2017, the University of Delaware has received $6.7 million in funding from China, $23.6 million from Saudi Arabia, $2.5 million from Oman, and $1.7 million from Turkey, according to data from the U.S. Department of Education. News of the funding comes as lawmakers have called for an investigation into President Joe Biden's private papers housed at the University of Delaware after federal authorities uncovered classified documents at Biden's home and at the Penn Biden Center, the president's other foreign policy focused think tank at the University of Pennsylvania. It also comes as the University of Pennsylvania has faced questions from Congress about foreign donations it received after launching the Penn Biden Center. The University of Delaware has declined to disclose the Biden Institute's donors and told the Free Beacon in 2020 that these records are not subject to public information laws because the Biden Institute is privately funded. Government watchdogs said the University of Delaware's secrecy over the Biden Institute's funding raises questions about whether any foreign funds have gone to the think tank, which is chaired by Biden's sister, Valerie Biden Owens, and has employed some of his top aides and political allies. The secrecy surrounding the suspected foreign funding of the Biden Institute at the University of Delaware is on par with that of the Penn Biden Center of the University of Pennsylvania, said Paul Kaminar, counsel to the National Legal and Policy Center, an ethics watchdog group that has investigated both think tanks. The House Oversight Committees need to uncover the dark money sources in both cases, particularly from China. So again, we're talking about the $54 million we know about from China to the Penn Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania. And this here, we have another $35 million going to the Biden Institute at the University of Delaware. So that is nearly $90 million of foreign money flowing to two universities where Joe Biden has fake foreign policy think tanks. And one of them is run by his sister. In late January, Senator Ted Cruz called on the FBI and the Department of Justice to search 1,875 boxes of records that Biden donated to the University of Delaware Library in 2012, which are closed to the public. Cruz said officials need to know if any additional classified documents are in those records. Given Biden's pattern, we should have zero reason to have any confidence that there are not multiple classified documents, Cruz said on his podcast. Biden, who spent decades representing Delaware in the Senate, has a long relationship with the university. The University of Delaware is home to the Joe Biden Jr. School of Public Policy and Administration, which established the Biden Institute, a think tank focused on domestic policy in 2017. In January, House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman Michael McCall launched an inquiry into foreign funding to the University of Pennsylvania, which received $61 million from Chinese funders in the three years after the Penn Biden Center was launched in 2017, the Free Beacon reported in 2021. 
Since Biden's inauguration, the university has accepted an additional $14 million from unnamed donors in China and Hong Kong, according to Department of Education records. So that is considerably higher than the reports I've consistently seen saying $54 million. This is saying 61 plus another 14. The University of Pennsylvania told the Free Beacon that none of the donations were specifically earmarked for the Penn Biden Center and that the think tank is funded through the school's general budget. So the money is fungible. They put it into the university and then the think tank is funded through the university. And that should make everybody feel much better. If they just gave the money directly to Joe Biden and his sister, people would think there might be something untoward happening. But since they just donate it to the university that houses Joe Biden's think tanks, there's probably no problem whatsoever. This is from The Inquirer from a couple of weeks ago, following up on this same idea. Penn Biden Center provided a landing spot for many of the president's top aides. And we can skip the introduction. Here are the officials who worked at the Biden Center and then joined the administration, often after having also worked with Biden when he was vice president. Antony Blinken made almost $80,000 in the first six months of 2019 from the Biden Center. Steve Ricchetti was Biden's chief of staff when he was vice president and then became managing director of the Biden Center. Michael Carpenter was a foreign policy advisor to Vice President Biden and then was paid about $208,000 in salary from the Penn Biden Center over 16 months. Now he's the ambassador to the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Colin Call was deputy assistant to President Barack Obama and national security advisor to Biden when he was vice president. He later became a strategic consultant to the center and is now under secretary of defense for policy. He listed $185,000 in pay from the center over two years before rejoining the federal government. Brian McKeon, a longtime Biden confidant and deputy national security advisor when Biden was vice president became a senior director at the Penn Biden Center and was then the State Department's Deputy Secretary of State for Management and Resources in the Biden administration. Jeffrey Prescott was a deputy national security advisor in Biden's vice presidential office. He then became a strategic consultant at the center. He's now the deputy to the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Spencer Boyer, another Obama administration alum. Boyer was a senior fellow at the Biden Center and is now Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for European and NATO policy. Ariana Berengal was the Biden Center's founding director of programs, partnerships and strategic planning after working in the Obama administration, including at the Department of State. She later became a senior advisor to Biden National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. Juan Gonzalez, one-time special advisor for Biden in the vice president's office. Gonzalez was a senior fellow at the Biden Center and is now a special assistant to the president and senior director for the Western Hemisphere on the National Security Council. Carlin Reichel was communications director for the Biden Center and later became a speechwriter on the National Security Council. Bill Russo, a former Blinken aide. Russo helped launch the Biden Center and worked on some of its early student programming before becoming a top communications aide on Biden's presidential campaign. 
He joined the Biden administration in 2022 as an acting principal deputy assistant secretary of state. So all of these Obama officials go work for Biden's foreign policy think tanks that are funded by foreign money. And then they come into the illegitimate Biden regime and they are conducting foreign policy in the name of American citizens, though certainly without their consent and without the legitimacy of their supposed offices. And knowing this to be true, there is, of course, no reason to think that they are any less compromised than Joe Biden himself. This is not just the revolving door between government and the private sector or government agencies and the corporations they regulate. This is the revolving door of the global regime. They infiltrate governments of countries, then they leave and receive payoffs in incredibly illegitimate ways through fake think tanks that are being purchased and funded by our foreign adversaries. And we just have to guess who they're serving. So things are not going well for the fake president. His degree of illegitimacy is being exposed more and more every day. And as I said yesterday, all of this seems to be coming to a head. Joe Biden seems destined for removal at some point. And who knows? I don't know that that's going to happen. But there are reasons to believe that the narrative is taking us in that direction. And we would think that Kamala Harris would be next in line. Or if Joe Biden decided not to run, ooh, it would be Kamala Harris's position. But things aren't looking good for Kamala either. This is from Fox News yesterday. There was actually a long piece on this in the New York Times, but I'm not going to get to it. Democrats admit they've lost hope in Kamala Harris. Can't think of one thing she's done. This is the headline in Fox News. Some Democrats are leaking their disdain for Vice President Kamala Harris to the press, with a few political bigwigs arguing openly that Harris is a major liability for 2024. Harris is struggling to define her presidency. Even her allies are tired of waiting. The New York Times headlined in an article Monday. That's because one of the few issues that some Democrats are in agreement on, whether they're allies of the vice president or not, is that she is a disappointment at best, the Times reported. But the painful reality for Ms. Harris is that in private conversations over the last few months, dozens of Democrats in the White House, on Capitol Hill and around the nation, including some who helped put her on her party's 2020 ticket, said she has not risen to the challenge of proving herself as a future leader of the party, much less the country. Even some Democrats who were supposed to be supporters of Harris confided privately that they had lost hope in her, according to the Times. And my Badlands media partner and friend Kyle, just human, highlighted some interesting passages from the New York Times article and theorizes that the Hillary Clinton as next president narrative could be circling back around. Here are the parts he highlighted. That will be, in my opinion, one of the most hard-hitting arguments against Biden, said John Morgan, a prominent fundraiser for Democrats, including Mr. Biden, and a former Florida finance chairman for President Bill Clinton. It doesn't take a genius to say, look, with his age, we really have to think about this. So far, he said, she has not distinguished herself and talking about Harris here. I can't think of one thing she's done except stay out of the way and stand beside him at certain ceremonies, he said. And that is obviously true. Kamala Harris is one of the most pathetic public figures we have ever seen. 
The idea that she is even pretending to be vice president is absurd. She travels around and bungles speeches and tries to tell kids about how they're going to see the moon with their own eyes. But back to these excerpts from the New York Times piece highlighted by Just Human. Members of Congress, Democratic strategists and other major party figures all said she has not made herself into a formidable leader. Two Democrats recalled private conversations in which former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton lamented that Ms. Harris could not win because she does not have the political instincts to clear a primary field. Nick Merrill, a spokesman for Mrs. Clinton, said she was strongly supportive of Ms. Harris and often spoke with her about the shared experiences of being a, quote, woman in power. He added, they have built and maintained a strong bond. Any other characterization is patently false. Well, that's interesting because, but it doesn't sound patently false because those would be Clinton's people leaking this to the press. And she's saying something that virtually everybody knows to be true. Kamala Harris does not have any political skill or acumen. She is not a good speaker. She doesn't seem to have an original idea in her entire brain. She has no leadership skills. Her record is terrible and no one likes her. So what's going on here? Well, you tell me what's going on here. What do you think is going on here? Hillary Clinton is coming back around again. Joe Biden is being taken down systematically, including now by the media. And Kamala Harris is being taken down as well. I have been saying for over two years now that they might attempt to do this at some point, figure out a way to get rid of both Biden and Harris, and then Hillary gets to reassert Clinton dominance over the Obama faction. Whatever it is, I think we're in for a wild ride. Maybe the fences are up to protect Joe and Kamala from Hillary Clinton. And hopefully we'll find out why they're really there. But fences are not going to protect Joe Biden from embarrassing himself thoroughly on national television. And it is going to be hilarious to watch. We will be covering that live streaming on Badlands Media tonight. So if you hear this by then, I hope you'll join us. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!